0: Three, two, one. Okay, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Colin on the show, long-awaited hundredth episode. My guest today, the long-awaited Deontay Massey Johnson. What's up? What's up, Colin? Don't call me Colin, bro. Um, what's your name? <laughs> all right. Well, to start, so I know you very well, but a lot of people don't. So, just who are you? Who are you to me? And then, what do you do with your life? Well, I am about
1: to get my degree in psychology so i'm a psychology major i'm black i don't know really who i am honestly still figuring that out but you know through my journey of life i'll figure it out um to you though you're my dog honestly (laughs) been through it all together with you so
0: most people listening to this probably know who we are together but yeah no but get some background what do you mean i'm your dog
1: well I mean you, your family and you have helped me so much Took me in at a young age Showed me the path that I wanted to live And I'm forever grateful for it
0: Yeah so for everyone who's not listening I'm telling this story multiple times Dion, I met Dion in 8th grade the, the, How I met Dion So if anyone doesn't know the story I, You guys might not know the story in the audience too The audience is noah and uh weston but um so i was i think this is the first interaction we had but we were it was like right before basketball started or basketball um like intramurals or whatever whatever the hell the what is it called before
1: yeah before um, the intramurals trials type thing yeah yeah
0: well i walked up to you i was like hey i heard you're good at basketball and you said what'd you say
1: i said i heard that too yeah (laughs) and then
0: we were friends ever since but but what eighth grade year eighth grade year the one like the first time we ever hung out remember we went what happened what, what, tell that story when we went back to your house bro and we figured out josh was siblings with fucking or was um your sibling and fucking was hella close to Callie. you know what i'm talking
1: about yeah when we were driving back home yeah. and Callie and marissa were like oh my god you're josh's <laughs> little brother and then yeah i mean it was just like a family yeah. dynamic after that
0: and then we just fucking yeah and then you came to live with me did you come to live with me in eighth grade or ninth grade ninth grade ninth grade yeah so ninth grade through basically now basically yeah yeah and this I, I i think it's crazy that this will be the first time we're not living in the same state um like for like the last eight nine years like in the fall oh yeah that's crazy, except for obviously. like covid kind of but that doesn't really count right yeah doesn't really count. I still lived at your house. Facts, you did. Well, I mean, I might still be living there, but who knows? I might be living with Trin. She wants to move into an apartment, but I don't... You know, who knows? But yeah, so I don't even know this. I mean, I kind of know it, but this is a good topic to get into. Why psychology? Besides Karen and Bob. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why psychology? You know, that's a... That's a tough but easy question. You know, I I kind of... um I kind of put it into like corny terms i guess but that's because like of the hardships i've dealt with in my life and i like overcame it and i believe such a positive way and i feel like helping out you know people that are in similar situations than um i was in that i'm able to relate to them help them out and you know get them through the barriers that are thrown their way like uh you know systematic oppression honestly you know like you know growing up didn't have much um, you know, so many barriers that my parents face, you know, going in and out of jail, bringing me to live with you and all that, you know, that allowed um, for me to actually extract some positives out of it rather than look into the negative, uh, you know, be a gangbanger or something like that. You know, the, the black stereotype coming from low income. So I just wanted to make sure that um, I didn't end up like that because there's only, you know, two ways to that, you know, jail or dead. And I'm not having either of those. So. <laughs>
0: Um, so when you talk about the systemic barriers or the systematic barriers, what do you think the psychological implications are on the people from those systemic barriers? Like, what do you think, like, what is going to be your aspect? Like, what are you going to try to like, as well as like, you know, we, we talking about like actual barriers of entry, like into the market, you know, um, like actual forces keeping people down. What are the psychological barriers that people who are in poverty or people who are minority status, like face that you want to help with?
1: Well, Honestly, psychologically, I think it really comes down to the identity of that person. You know, it really, really messes up your identity. You don't know what you want to do. You know, you want to make it out. But then the people you're hanging around with, um, you know, think you're a fool for trying to make it out, knowing in the situations that, you know, we're accustomed to, we don't make it out. So I feel like your identity is totally screwed with. And, you know, you kind of maneuver in a way that... Um, Conforms to the identity that you and your associates have. You know, birds that flock together fly together, whatever. Birds, what is that one? Birds that something like that.
0: Birds of a feather flock together. I don't know, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. But it's 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 around that realm, honestly. But psychologically, I would say identity. You know, I I had an identity crisis. I wanted to be a basketball player, <laughs> but God had other plans for me. <laughs> I was um, four foot five. <laughs> But, hey, I was still a little hooper, so. And then, you know, I chose to play basketball. He gets no buckets. I do get buckets. (laughs) But I tried to play basketball over doing acting. You know, I was a little actor before, and I just remembered, you know, talking to a couple of my close friends before I came close to you and all that, and they were, like, acting, you know, like, we don't do that. You know, saying we in the aspect of being a black person, Mm. you know, like, I don't know, it's just the identity thing when it comes down to, like, You're supposed to fit this, like, stereotype, and I think the stereotype is what um, most people, like, live up to because they're so, like, used to it in the um, society because that's what is pushed. So, I don't know. I, I, I wish I stuck with acting, honestly.
0: One Nevada Credit Union bacon. If anyone's out there listening, just look that up.
1: Yeah, one Nevada bacon commercial. Yeah. Um badass checking one Nevada. So
0: living with me and living with Moses or Dante or Josh or any of them, what are the differences in the way that I view myself versus the way that they view themselves that you have noticed? Well Or like, you know, the way you were talking about.
1: Um, you know, just growing up with my siblings and all that, we didn't have the best relationship when I was um young. I would get bullied by them, whatever, you know. Just have that that little brother hate towards them so i didn't really like you know interact with them on the level i interacted with you because of the fact that you know we weren't related we were friends and our friend our friendship then turned into something more obviously but um about you like you're goal oriented towards the same aspects i am rather than um you know, the, the goals my other siblings have, you know, like, they have goals in their life, but they're trying to get it a different way than me and you are, you know, going to school, mm-hmm. then continuing um, school, and then trying to get to it just in, the, like, the, a more positive aspect. I'm not going to get into what they're getting into. That's not my business or anything, um, but they are getting to it, you know. Um, I, my dad also, he he's um finally going back to school. He just got his associate's Shannon degree. Greg. Yeah, shout out, Greg. But he just got his associate's degree in business. And I honestly believe that I, I um, what would you say, um, persuaded him to do that yeah. for the fact that I am in college. I'm a first generation. So um, he decided to go back. So he'll be graduating uh, next year. And then my sister just recently went back to become an actual nurse. I'm pretty sure a registered nurse. Um but I just feel like I've given them the the that like um that push you know to go get it the right way rather than what they've been doing all this time, you know mm-hmm. time's limited um I believe you know you waste valuable time, so yeah,
0: and so wh- i was mean i was also thinking of like how, what do you think that do what is the aspect of do you think that comes from? Like race, you know, what is the difference in the way I think about things and the way I like I've grown up and thought about my life versus the way Dante or Moses do, do is what I was really thinking about. And how does that correlate to you know society and our families and and race and things like that? Well, I hate saying things like that. Everyone says it, and if you don't, if you guys just listen and notice that everyone says it, and it's so annoying. We continue.
1: Well, you know. I believe the difference between you and my siblings, you know, like Dante, Moses, Josh, you know, I have a lot of them, but you know, you, I don't believe you ever had the, the struggle, the struggling thought of the next thing to come, you know, thinking about your next shower, your next meal, stuff like that. You know, you just, you've always had it and you were able to benefit from that rather than um, having to get into something to allow you to be able to do that, such as, you know, maybe doing something illegal um for your benefit which puts you in a shitty situation, you know, like jail, you know. Mm-hmm. You can go to jail for most of the stuff that, you know, I've seen growing up. But that's because people had to make a way for the next thing rather than the long-term thing. You know, people are always looking for the next meal, you know, how to pay the water bill, the heat bill. Stuff I've struggled with um all my life, honestly, until I did come with you and your family and you guys helped me out Mm -hmm. you know i had a place to shower every day they gave me a room i was able to eat so very very grateful for
0: that why do you think there's a push because we grew up around all this like in henderson for people who actually have like good families and who actually are in families who um provide for them to want to be like gang Gangbangers or to want to struggle. Like you can think about some people from Henderson who get addicted to drugs. Moving, but um, get addicted to drugs who become like so like in- ingrained in this idea that they're struggling, they're hard. Why do you think there's a push for that in like young white people specifically?
1: Because you start hanging out with people that do it, and you have that that identity crisis. You you're trying to figure out like, oh, dang, I'm trying to be like them or something like that. When you're truly not like that, you know um i've hung out with everyone you know good bad black white doesn't matter but at the end of the day you're supposed to be your own person and you know that struggle stuff is is not the move honestly like being be grateful for what you have and don't try to put yourself in a worse predicament you know like a lot of people that we do know you know it's just like it's not worth it honestly um, being hard is not worth it Wanting to struggle, not worth it. You know that struggle puts you in a different mentality. You know you lose hope, you lose friends, um, family, stuff like that. When you want to get into the gang life, the struggle life, whatever like that.
0: So coming to Pacific and studying psychology, what do you think? Like have been the major like mind transformations for you? The major things that have made you change your mind about the way you view yourself, the way you view society, the way you view other people.
1: Uh, Well, with myself, I'll start off with myself. Um, I've learned a lot about myself, but more in the positive aspect than anything. You know, I never struggled with, like, depression or anxiety. And that's one reason why I feel like um, psychology is a good realm for me. You know, yeah, I haven't experienced it, but in my situations, most people would have experienced it. So I just feel like, um, what did I do that helped me um, jump past that um, psychological issue? and that's what i really think about a lot because every, everything in psychology we talk about you know we talk about aces which are adverse childhood events and i think i hit like seven out of like 12. and that's like the spectrum right there for me to be on um you know depressed or be depressed have anxiety um you know you can have ptsd from adverse childhood events mm-hmm. you know st- stuff like that and you know one of the biggest ones that aren't even talked about in the adverse childhood um, events is poverty and poverty like makes you view the whole world differently like my goal in life is to have money and i'm not talking about you know a little bit of money i need a great amount of money because i never had it you know and that's the goal for me and a lot of people were say will say you know money doesn't make you happy and all that and i understand but like have you ever been without it like yeah. that's the thing like people don't understand like other people when people say money doesn't make you happy yeah I'm. I understand that, whatever, but I personally don't believe that, mm-hmm. and that's where my head's at. You know, I talk about, I talk about it a lot to other people, and you can you can tell, you know, like they're not into money like that. But grow up not having it, you know, trust.
0: Yeah, I feel like. Well, I mean, I've seen a lot of people who they get content with you know making a livable wage, and then. They don't like what they do, but it's like it's enough to where you can come home at night, have a couple beers, drink on the weekend with your friends when you're in your 20s, and then go back at it. I don't want to be content. No, exactly. And I think a lot of it comes from modern day. Actually, this is like post industrial revolution, you could say. Modern day fuses. um, So you have the aspect where people can make money off of their inventions and their innovations and their creativity, but really that's like sub 1%. Like those people are going to get bought out by major companies and they'll be rich for the rest of their life. But realistically, creativity is not going to make you a lot of money in the United States or any western country. However, people still want to be creative, people still want to have endeavors. That's why people play sports, they watch sports, that's why people watch movies, that's why people do all that things because they have that creative endeavor. And so workforce or labor, I guess you could call it. It strips or it tends to take people away from it and it's just like from the creativity. Yeah, because yeah. people need to work because you need a society to be ran functionally and you can't just have people who aren't plumbers. You can't have people who aren't creating, like farming, because there's so many people that you need labor. However, modern-day labor makes the person a commodity that's interchangeable with other people and it strips mm-hmm. that creativity away from it. It's so like you can make a chair just as good as Weston can make a chair. So I think a part of that is people getting being forced into this idea that all they are is another manufacturer or, or another... Um, product or another it's not the word i'm thinking another
1: i I would say they're transactionable honestly yeah that's
0: what i'm saying person Yeah. yeah
1: and i yeah i'm trying to get my degree in psychology and then i'm going to get my doctorate degree also and i'll i mean we'll discuss that in a little bit but you know that's not how i'm trying to live the rest of my life you know this is this is to set my foundation yeah but by the I mean by the time I'm 40, 50, I want to own multiple properties, um, you know, my own business, uh, just a lot of different things because at the end of the day, uh, I'm trying to create generational wealth for my family Mm -hmm. and that's something that most black people that, um, you know, nowadays don't have access to, you know, due to so many um, systematic barriers um, back in the day, you know, redlining, you know, one of the biggest ones because 90% of wealth comes from owning property. owning property. Yeah. Like, you know, that's just how it goes and no one really had the opportunity to to do that. You know, you, I mean, you hear the greats like Michael Jordan now who is what, 50, 60 years old, you know, has so much money now for his future generations, but um who had that for him? You know, mm-hmm. like that's how I'm trying to that's what I'm trying to get to in my life where I'm able to pass down a lot so when you bury me those people that bury me aren't struggling you know you can have a good life because i set that foundation for you
0: yeah i, I saw a video of bradley Beale saying something like that as a motivational speech to some aau kids but um i digress but i think that generational wealth is a weird one because it's like a lot of people who are proponents of um like anti-capitalism i guess you could say or anti or they're like pro-Marxist people, modern-day thinkers. They they think that generational wealth, because a lot of southern—I don't know how much, how many people in the United States—but a lot of southern property owners are like are, have their money from slavery or plantations. Um, not a large majority, but some. And so they think that generational wealth is one of those ways that when you die, it should be dispersed into the economy, and then it should be trickled down, and then it should flow back to where it naturally occurs. And, and that's so, the
1: anti-capitalist perspective. Isn't that what you just said?
0: Yeah, but it's so when you're talking about systematic barriers, especially regarding racism, some would say, some would argue, like G.O. Mar, that racism is so or capitalism is so linked with racism within the United States, that you can't have one without the other. And so, because of that, you have to flip the system, and the only way to do that is to start anew, right? So, generational wealth is like, where do you do with the people who are already, um owning large amounts of some from like property and what are you doing about the people who are trying to get there? Because there's so much like that's already have been made off the backs of plantations and made off the backs of racism that are you just going to strip away white people's um, property or white people's generational wealth? Are you going to like, how are you, how are you going to make that happen? And so like people are proponents who are, or people are saying that we should just stop generational wealth in, entirely and that once you're, you, once you're dead, all your wealth gets dispersed back into the economy.
1: I hey, they can think that, but that's not gonna happen. You know, we have too many people higher up that made their life off the of generational wealth, and Trump. You know, and th- those people that are higher up in our society aren't gonna just allow that to happen. So I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing, trying to do, mm-hmm. and you know, get to that generational wealth. So me, my current family, and my future family are set in stone
0: do you think that competition is inherently innate in people yes see i do too and i I was
1: well especially in america though
0: well yeah and so okay second question do you think that it's only okay let's say there's a world right not no capitalism exists right there's no market barriers there's no like um there's no like financial capital monopolies there's no large organizations running things. Everyone's free. They're living in a pure utopian society, right? Do you think that me and you would still have competition? Yes. Yes, okay, cool. Me too. Because when you're reading people who are utopian thinkers, and when I did my senior project, everyone who knows this, it's on Marxism. One of his most famous writings was that, like, basically he believed that um, competition was a byproduct of capitalism and that, like, if we... Um, just dispersed capitalism was to do with, and you made a communist communistic society. What you would have is like we could fish, we could fish in the morning, hunt at night, and then you know golf in the evening. I don't think he said golf, but basically it's what you could do whatever the hell you wanted to because your needs are met, right? And I, I thought the number one critique of that would be is like, yeah, but some people are still going to be better than others at at fishing at fishing, hunting, and they're going to have all the fish, and somebody's going to have none of the fish, mm-hmm. um, and then you're just going to go and take that away from them. Yeah, and, and so I think that competition is just something maybe it's innately male but I don't think that's necessarily the case either it might be more um, prominent in men but when, you, when people are saying things like that or when people are saying that we, we can start anew and have a democratic socialist society where reform is at the helm and you disperse wealth um, even 60 to 40 it's like people are better than other people and so when you're doing that you're, it, you're saying that people are basically the same when they're not right
1: yeah and that's why i go back to the competition though in america more than usual because you know we're an individualistic society so we're competing with everybody whereas in eastern um culture you know such as asia Mm -hmm. you know they're family oriented you know like everyone's doing something to benefit the family and the um, society rather than themselves so i mean That, like, competition's not pushed as much, I would assume. I mean, I can't really speak on that. But out in America, Western civilization, uh, competition is pushed. You know, like, I competed to get into the doctorate program. You know, I competed, you know, to do so much stuff. To even go to college, you compete. You know, I competed for scholarship. Competing right now? Yeah, and that's that's just how it goes. Um, We have to compete, you know, because, like you said, some people are just better. Than others, and I agree with that. But also, I agree that everybody has um, so much potential, but they don't have the access to unlock mm-hmm. that potential due to you know um, setbacks and hardships in their life. You know, it doesn't have to be you know the the hardships that I've dealt with. You know, I don't ever diss on anyone's um, situations in their life. You know, what you presume to be insanely um, heartbreaking. I agree, you know, like that's your life. That's how you handle it. Um, I just believe that mine is the same. So, um, I don't know what I was getting into. It doesn't matter.
0: Um, (laughs) I had something to ask you about the individual. I don't do you think that's a necessarily bad thing that we're individualistic? Because I think that, you know, by saying that you're, everybody's important and you can do whatever you want in this life, whatever you want, you know, be free, I think is a important, you know, is very important because when you start looking at people as their group identity per se, or what they can put value towards a society, you can start dehumanizing people. It's what China does. It's what, uh, Russia or the former Soviet union did. Um, when you have like social caste systems or social class systems where you view – I mean I guess capitalism does it too, but it does it in a way where you can still kind of get out if you're extremely lucky. Um, but looking at someone from who they are as a person, it seems to be more – it seems to make it so you you look at someone for what they are, which is a human being, instead of looking at someone as another just opportunity for the society to either flourish or fail basically.
1: I I think individuality is necessary. Yeah. Um I am an individual outside of the group. You know, I'm not I was born into this world alone. I didn't I wasn't born I mean with twins or triplets, you know, that's that's a group, you know. Shout but, out Dylan and Bryson for real. But I I believe being an individual is necessary and you know, you asked me describe myself at the beginning of the podcast. I didn't really give you, you know, a great rundown cuz you know it's hard describing yourself, you know, like for real? first you don't want to sound cocky about it but then like who are you like mm-hmm. that's how I was just thinking about it and you know you give the cliche answers oh, I'm, I'm kind I'm a funny person you know but like dig deeper you know it's harder to dig deeper about your own self but who are you talking about in that situation an individual you're talking about yourself mm-hmm. you're not like if you ask someone in the eastern civilization in the culture they don't talk. They don't talk about their self first. They talk about um, where they come from, who who they are in the family, stuff like that, because they're group oriented. But right when you asked me that, I talked about me. I'm black. I'm getting my um, degree. You know, that's just stuff we learn in psychology, like cultural psychology. I've taken that uh, class before. But not even just in cultural psychology, in all psychology, you just learn that different cultures religions have different beliefs and stuff uh, you know the belief of the beliefs they have and that they um coincide with could seem abnormal to our eyes but it's totally normal in their eyes so like i believe that when you you know you ask an individual in America who they are they're going to give you an answer that conforms to what society wants them to say mm-hmm. that makes sense it
0: does okay i need you to combat my my it's not anti-psychology position but you it's, are anti-psychology but yes but okay i'm gonna i'm gonna Westin lay out knows. i'm gonna lay out your my the Foucauldian. what his argument is and so i want you to refute to ask a psychology student who's going to get his phd in psychology and also, anyone exciting. listening, especially my parents, I'm not saying that psychology has no value. My argument simply usually is that psychology has been used throughout society to generalize norms, especially heteronormative norms, on top of people who are the other, considered the other. Okay. Now, let's talk about Foucault and epistemes. Basically, if I'm gonna be succinct about it, do you guys know who Foucault is? Foucault's the big guy who talks about power and knowledge. You know what the not the Leviathan. What is it? The um, it's the idea that like every like first off schools are like a prison industrial complex, and also that like yes, the prisons like I'm not gonna even get, get into his prison argument, but basically he says that there's three Ebescenes, and so in and and the way that he was looking at Ebescenes, which are basically like time periods, the way you think about knowledge, the way you think about terms, and he was looking at discourses in those three times. So it was antiquity, which is like Greek, and then early modern, which is like when Catholicism, Roman Catholicism was popular and then modern. Um, and he was looking at them, and he was looking at the way that discourses change about terms, but how power and knowledge is always at the center of it. And power and, power and knowledge are basically the same thing. They're always linked. And so in antiquity, um, pedastory... P- pedastry whatever pediology was like normative there so they had like um young boys would be have sex with older men and they would homosexuality was prominent in the upper class and then you get to the um catholicism period or the the early modern period and you have like the invention of the soul so to speak and and that and people like aquinas and people like aristotle believe that reason was given from god or 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 from nature and that reason tells us we should be heterosexual because for reproduction right and and so the person in the back of your head saying for people who are gay or i'm gay or i'm different is just you is satan basically and so your soul is the one that's having that internal battle and you have to be we have to reason towards the good and then you get to and so both of those are aspects of like where the power is held. It's that the, the people who are in charge, people who are telling you what it is. So it's Catholicism in the early modern period. And then you get to the modern period and it's the psychologists. The Psychologists have the power of knowledge over what is normal or abnormal. Um, in early modern is like 60s I think, 1960s. And so the one in the ways that he says that psychology was used is as a way to generalize or make people who are maybe not – fit in the right gender category or who are um homosexual they make them feel abnormal they would call them abnormal they would call them different and and they would push uh, uh heteronorms or whatever the hell the, the other words are for it as a as normal and abnormal and in in a, in a respect the psychologists have the power of that because they are interpreting all the power comes from the interpretation of consciousness comes from the psychologist and so his aspect is that psychologists have been used to abnormalize people basically
1: i mean i can i could see what he means right there but you know interpreting that interpreting homosexuality in the 1960s comes from the societal um, promotion that homosexuality is not correct you know you fast forward um you know more years into it
0: it's it's sorry for weston being loud
1: uh, you fast forward more into it it's not seen as that no more. You know, um, society is actually more comfortable with homosexuality because at the end of the day, everyone is an individual. You have the opportunity to be who you are. Um, you know, currently people are being faced with a lot of, you know, different barriers, um, with their homosexuality, but I don't see why it's a problem, you know, like do you honestly. And that interpretation stems back from, you know, the early psychologists saying it's abnormal and people sticking to that. But, um, you know, ideology changes from time periods. You know, like you said in your uh, thesis presentation, you know, the ide- ideology in that time frame was that homosexuality is not, you know, correct or it is ab- it is abnormal. But now, six years later, it it's fine. You know, like I don't see a problem with it. I support it, you know, I actually wanna work with, you know, the the LGBTQ plus community in the military, you know, because that's such a um low group that has so much diversity in it that don't have the attention that they need. Um, you know, when it comes to their psychological issues due to society, you know, um singling them out and stuff like that. So
0: Well yeah, like he would say that um, he would say that, uh, like the the way in which so w- what he would say is that the psychologists have the, had the power over society for those aspects because they deemed what was going on in someone's head basically it was at, either if it was abnormal or normal, um, and and the, and the way in which the society then micromanages people is um, literally from birth. So the school argument is literally from birth. Is like he gives, there's an example like if I if we went into class right and we we went into class here at college on the first day of class, you wouldn't just walk in and jump on the table and start screaming or you wouldn't even sit on the floor. You would sit in desk and you'd probably yeah, sit there for a second. because that's a societal semester. norm. Because that's a societal norm and you've been taught that you have to do that since literally you were four years old because mm-hmm. they conformed you to society. They make you sociable. Um, and this goes actually to I think this is actually a good thing we can get into because it goes into why people like Alito believe the way they do with things like um, abortion. So people don't understand when they're like, he's just a fucking cocksucker. It's like, yeah, maybe, but he's also, you got to think about it. He is a Christian or a Catholic. He's a Catholic natural law theorists so the way in which people think about politics is so retarded because they think the supreme court people have the same ideology as the people who are legislating republicans and democrats are not lawyers lawyers think about law and maybe they're a traditionalist so those are the people who think like we should read the constitution how they wrote it in 1787 which is just fucking abhorrent like that's just retarded and then there's people who are like briar who say, like, no, it's ever-changing. Words mean, discourses change over time about what words mean. we got to think about these from the modern standpoint. So they think about it from different aspects, not thinking from, like, Republican or Democratic standpoints. So when he's thinking about things like this, he's looking at, and his reason's faulty, and he's he's not bad. What he's doing is he's subscribing to Christian natural law theory, which basically says that everything comes from God, right? And it also says that people who are reasonable— are the people who spend their time being sociable and, and contemplating the eternal, right? Those are the people. And that people who are reasonable are also Catholic, and therefore the law should um, benefit those people. Um, and so under his aspect, from God, it, there's, there's two distinctions. There's like four distinctions of the law, but the Christian natural law theorists believe that there's two, like there's, two types of law so there's natural law which is your ability to reason into god's plan your ability to think about it and what god wants for the universe that's what you think and that's what you instill and then there's human law which the laws that make people sociable make people live together which are in accordance with god's plan for the world okay mm-hmm. and so christian natural law out there is truly believe that it is their duty to strike down what they call tyrannical law, which is human law that is not in accordance with God's plan. And so at that level, it's clearly easy to see why someone who's a c- Catholic um, would strike down abortion as immoral. However, isn't it strange how there, we have, if, if we're trying to be diverse, and we have just appointed a black woman to the Supreme Court, however, she's Catholic, or or a, or a Christian. We have never once appointed anybody who is not of faith and not of Christian faith to the Supreme Court. Isn't that a little odd that we don't have anyone who's has either Muslim or Jewish, yeah, or anything, I or even atheistic, yeah? And it's because of the fact. And and then people are asking, like, well, why do they pass these things that are in accordance with with Christianity? It's like because there isn't a divide between the state and and um religion. There has been a clear Christianity path, Protestantism and now Catholicism path in the United States for a long time and people don't understand it's like if you think about it from where they're coming from, they're doing God's work and we still haven't moved past the twelfth century apparently.
1: Yeah, I I don't agree with that. You know, I do believe in God and stuff like that. But at the end of the day you can't push Christianity on people that don't believe it. So, you know, someone Literally. someone you know going into this um approach with the you said a christianity um law theory or whatever
0: Christian natural law theorists yeah
1: yeah uh, you like good that suits you bro you know it doesn't suit society you know america's a melting pot of diverse beliefs backgrounds race identity ethnicity you know i can keep going but how are you going to push your beliefs onto someone else so um you know my side of it you know i you know, it's a sticky situation, you know, with the abortion thing. It really is. Uh, But they're trying to lump everything together and make it seem like it's not – I mean, it's bad. But I feel like there is great cases for someone to engage into that. You know, um, rape, you know, sexual abuse, stuff like that. And plus, at the end of the day, you know, you have all these, you know, politicians – that are saying, you know, abortion's bad, you know, let's ban it, whatever. But they're not doing anything to um, help, you know, give access to people that are thinking about the abortion, you know, better access to programs to help them take care of that kid. Um, Adoption agencies and orphanages, you know, they show the statistics that that the programs aren't good, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not rehabilitating for these people that are put in these situations, you know, it's just, what is it? dehumanizing i guess um you know they it's a it's a orphanage to prison pipeline right there Uh, most of the statistics show that most people in um orphanages end up in jail prison dead doing sex work stuff like that and how are you going to like push how are you going to push that on to um society and you're not helping out those people that are like struggling with that choice of abortion
0: yeah um we talk about this a lot in politics classes as you can imagine but there's people um have theorized or people say in the united states it's literally a crime to be poor in the united states they make it so so impossible to live without you know At least driving without a tail light once in a while, or Mm -hmm. you know, it's impossible. And And then you can even go go
1: lower than that too, because the homeless people, you know, in so many communities they have anti anti homeless Mm -hmm. benches with the spikes sticking out, so they can't even catch a you know a quick nap or something like that. And I understand that you know they're they're trying to make you become a part of society rather than um, living off of everyone else in the community. But at the end of the day, people. People can't control what happens to them most of the time. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Yes, I believe you have choice um, and you have control over a lot of stuff. But, you know, getting let go from a job that you thought was, um, you know, the, the best job you can have, you know, it's, it's real. You know, um, you know becoming um, a product of the system also, you know, like once you get out of jail, you can be the most rehabilitated person in the world. But since you've been to jail slash prison, like, that's on your record, bro. Like, you can't do stuff that actually gives you um, a living wage. You know, my my mom fought with homelessness. You know, she was on the verge of being homeless. Thank God I was able to, you know, help her out and all that. You know, I'm very blessed for that. Um, But also that I thank, you know, you and your family for even giving me the opportunity to help my mom in that situation. But... You know my mom's a good person she she don't do nothing too crazy you know she's always been a hard worker she works all the time i don't think she's ever missed work she's gonna miss work for my graduation but that's a whole different story yeah um but she should you know she can't yeah she doesn't she doesn't get any help you know um in the um from the government or anything like that and you know this is on this is on her now you know she has to do everything on her own without the what are you doing she has to do everything on her own and get no help and being homeless you know that's not a choice for some people i mean that's not the the choice that people want to go with but they are kind of forced into it as i would say
0: no definitely and yeah you're talking about like florida and the no spikes and I i think there has to be some type of you know middle ground between portland and you know um Florida for homeless the homeless problem because for one you know you know doing that research project taking the politics of policing course doing that research project on the CAHOOTS program which stands for crisis assistance helping out on the streets which basically you know they instead of sending police in to intervene in mental health or drug addiction or um, suicide prevention or what's the other one um, homelessness. Uh, um, you send in a crisis professional who are a lot of the times psychologists, who are a lot of the times who are so other social workers or who have, and they all are trained in like EMT, basic aid. People who
1: have more experience than a police officer. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. you know, in, in effect, that every single time you send somebody, and these are nonviolent. So if Codes does need backup from the Eugene Police Department, obviously they get help. Um, like if someone has a knife and they're naked and they're trying to kill somebody, like you, you can't send crisis intervention. It, officials in there maybe you send one and a police officer but there has to be some type of safety precaution however every time you send somebody in or one out of four times a police officer kills somebody it is a someone who struggles with mental health one in four that's 25 percent of the people who die every year by a police officer is somebody who's struggling with something outside of themselves and so if in effect you can send somebody in who can help somebody calm down because think about it you're going through something that p- most people will never go through let's say like schizophrenia right and you're clearly paranoid off meds you're going through you're going through it right or maybe you're going through a uh, withdrawals of like methamphetamine or something crazy you know you're trying to get better but your 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 brain's not there and you see sirens, handcuffs, guns, tasers, batons, people in authority uniforms that are signified with arresting and death. And the, and you're already going through it. That's just going to z- exacerbate the problem even more further. Mm-hmm. So if you send somebody in, I think the most important aspect of programs like Oates is you send somebody in who's trained in de-escalation and calmness and can help people who are struggling with not die unwillingly or not get arrested unwillingly.
1: Yeah. I just don't understand too, how you know a lawyer has to go to school so much to do the um to learn the law, but a police officer does like one year of you know training, and they're the ones upholding the law. Um I just think that's very interesting. I think that that's something that more people should talk about when it comes to the police. You know, they should actually learn the law mm-hmm. rather than upholding it. You know there's there there should be a balance right there. But that de-escalation thing, um, I believe that's actually really good. Um, you should do it. But Portland obviously has a has a knack for um, you know helping the homeless community out, stuff like that.
0: And, this one's in Eugene, though.
1: I mean, Eugene's still in Oregon. Yeah. But I mean, Oregon as a whole, you know, I not no not Oregon as a whole. I'd say Portland, Eugene, stuff like that. You know, the the more um, Liberal. Liberal areas, yeah, Um, have a better approach to homelessness rather than, you know, most of the country. But at the end of the day, that, that does come with some, you know, um what, what would be the word? Um, Cons, I guess. You know, you, you can catch a homeless person living on your property and you can't do anything about it. You know, stuff like that, which is very interesting. How about you, like, set up an area for that to occur rather than... Oh, I'm gonna buy this million-dollar home, and then I have a homeless person live in my backyard. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. I I wouldn't know what to do in that situation, but
0: yeah, Lawrence Armand French. So I read his book this year, and he just talked about the history of policing America, and just from the start, you know, the police were military. Like they just the link between military and policing, military industrial complex and policing is crazy. Policing
1: started though. After slavery was abolished,
0: no, I mean they, the uh, the Marines and the or whoever was fighting in the Revolutionary War, they were the police force for a long time. Um, yes, slavery did have an uh, effect on like modern the policing. Yeah. yeah, but um, the policing system, history of policing system, is just was it started with like military uh, personnel yeah. enforcing the law. Yeah, I'm
1: not saying that police haven't been around all the time. You know, there's been multiple forms of police um, throughout the world. Um, for centuries but i just i stand on the fact that modern-day policing came stems from after slavery was abolished
0: um but you got to think about too another form of um policing you know people groups of people people who are being policed even more heavily before, while people, while um, African Americans were still enslaved, were the um, Native Americans. Do we never like they, like the people who were enforcing these these um, re like these sterilization and relocation and the, all the that stuff were police forces, were military organizations. Um, you know, Andrew Jackson famously said. Um, so the Supreme Court ruled that he wasn't allowed to do the Trail of Tears, and so he said. Okay, they made their ruling. Now watch them enforce it. And he just went and did it, anyways. Killed I don't know upwards of ten thousand, maybe more, um, Native Americans. And so, like, along with you know, um, freed slaves, the Native American population of the United States was just like eradicated almost.
1: Yeah, they don't get talked about ever either. Yeah, yeah. Well, because there's not I mean, not as many no more. Yeah, Uh, you know, there's still not as many black people, um, in America, but there is enough to make a voice. Mm -hmm. and i feel like the native american community doesn't have that voice and then there's so many so many things you have to you know touch on the checklist to actually be a native american yeah but like there's not really none for being black it's just the color of your skin you know yeah um you know you're black if your skin color is black basically and one
0: drop rule, which is just fucking crazy to me you know, what? The run, you know what the one drop rule is? No, what is that? So in the United States like you were considered black if you had literally one drop of African American in you.
1: Oh, well, see, you know, but for a Native American, you have to be you know, in a tribe yeah. on the base such and such, you know, you have to you know, meet so many things to actually get the reparations that they um promote that most of them just don't even go by that anymore. You know, you'll hear the occasional, "Oh, I'm Native American." "Oh, I'm Native American, but" they don't benefit from being a native American um, because of all the um, things they have to go through just to actually show that they're native American.
0: So do you know the story behind the, the what made um, segregation legal in the United States? No. So it would happen in a case called Plessy V. Ferguson. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes. But Plessy, yeah, I believe it was Plessy because I think it was Ferguson, Missouri. So Plessy was a – he looked like a lamello ball basically. He was very – good. He was a very white African-American, and so he could pass for white. So he got on the white train basically, and this was a test case. So throughout the United States, there have been test cases that have usually never worked. So test cases are cases that are, are formed through like – Secret organizations or through people, um, in order to test the legitimacy of law of the United States federal law. So, most of the time, this is like has not worked out in the favor. Like one of the test cases that did not work out in African Americans' favor was Dred Scott v. Sanford, which basically said black people were property. So that, like that, was a test case. They were trying to see if slavery was um, could be upheld or what was the legitimacy of slavery, and then he. Um, in the North, in, in the South, and, and then they ruled that African Americans were basically property. um, And so, but plus he was a test case, and basically to see the legitimacy of segregation laws. And he basically sat on a plane, and I mean, on a train, and no one said anything to him because he was basically white. He looked white, you know? So he stood up in the middle of the train and said, I'm black! I'm black! And then they sent the cops, and he got tackled, and he got arrested. And then they challenged it to the Supreme Court, and they ultimately ruled that... Um, separate is inherently is separate but equal is inherently fair you know fair but you know and so that upheld segregation but it's just funny because it, it was that idea of the one drop rule this guy was basically white he looked white he passed as white Yeah, and he had to stand up and scream that he was black and that in effect upheld segregation but what if
1: he wasn't black
0: what do you mean
1: what if a white guy just stood up and said that and he wasn't black do you think it would still occur
0: probably that All all this was 18 shit don't hate my my history 1890. I want to say 1890. Can you fact check that, Jamie? Um, I plus E.V. Ferguson. Um, yeah, I think it's. I need to have you in here every time I do a podcast. I think it is 1890. I think it is. Let me because Brown v. Boer was 1960 for sure. And you know, Brown v. Boer, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows Brown v. Boer. Right? Yeah, it's probably the most famous case of all time.
1: Uh, yeah, it, I wouldn't say it was the most famous case, but for black people. Um, psychology, Mr. and Mrs. Clark study, Mr. and Mrs. Clark doll study, you know, that showed that, yeah. um, you know, black children, three, of bias, right? three, yeah, showed the biasness right there. You know, children three, five years old, um, around that age, you know, they were shown white dolls and black dolls, but they conformed to the white doll more than the black doll. And they would use adjectives like ugly, um, dark yeah. and stuff when, um, oh, mean, when they were, um, discussing the black doll, but then with the white doll, they were like, um, you know, pretty, um, nice, you know, kind, but that's because that's what the media was pushing during that time. And this was 19, what? Don't, hey, fact check me too. I'd say like 1920s <laughs> to the 30s area. Um, that was one of the most prominent, um, studies in, um, African American history and um in psychology i'm pretty sure that case was actually used in the brown v board Um, i think it was yeah yeah i'm pretty sure because that's that's why we learned so much about it it's because that this was the first this was one of the first psychology findings that were shown in an actual um uh federal case so you know but that's what 30 years later which is very yeah. interesting. Um,
0: it definitely was used in Brown v. Board because I remember yeah. reading about it,
1: mm-hmm. and I remember reading about it too. You know, I don't, I, you know, we're different majors, whatever, different interests. I'm psychology, the law um, guy, but it's just interesting how those intertwined. And I read about Brown v. Board because of that case, um, Clark v. Clark. I mean, Clark and Clark, some um, doll study.
0: I definitely take back brown v board as being the most famous case because roe v wade's 100 percent the most famous case of all time you know it's crazy most people don't even know what roe v wade was either roe v wade ruled that it was the right of the doctors under privacy to practice their you know procedures which was abortion so was it what was the year bro i didn't get the name plessy v ferguson P. L. E. S. S. Y. V. Ferguson, um, and then look up the doll study after that. But um, yeah, so like, it became associated with um, you know the right of women's body because it is you know women who are the ones getting abortion. But it was really ruled as the right of the doctor to practice his practice in private, right? Yeah, but
1: that's because a lot of people don't read the law. Correct. You know, right. you know it, it's like what the game of telephone. You know it, and then you tell me, which I really don't know about it, and then I go tell Weston that something else. Weston goes tell somebody else, and by the end of it, the telephone call, um, abortion is legal, and it's the woman's right, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that's because people don't read the law, honestly.
0: Yeah, and— And they
1: make it like that. They they make the law so, so, what, um, In depth. ambiguous Yeah, that—
0: well, that's why we need lawyers right? yeah that
1: the ordinary person does not understand any of the words that are on there you know and that is why we need lawyers because yeah. you know once i once i get into what i want to do with psychology i have to have a lawyer on retainer because of so many things that are yeah i'll have you on retainer but that's because so many things in the law are just way Ambitious. over my head yeah. yeah and i i just can't understand most of it you know I mean I I take a a counseling and interview um class right now and you know I I watch a lot of Law and Order and all that but that's obviously you know a show you know you can't really um base life off of a show you know they they have court the same day they you know arrest the guy and I mean no they have the trial the same day they arrest the guy you know that's not that's <laughs> not true but um you know just just learning in my counseling class like there, like my teacher is a social worker and she has a lawyer on retainer because there's been many times that she had to go to court um about you know a client you know they get into something whatever but there's been many times that she has been threatened by a detective Mm. that she'll be going to jail or be held in contempt for not giving over files but there's there's public files, but they're idiots. Yeah, but they're yeah they're they're there's public files that you are supposed to give, but they don't want the public files. They want the the um the files that violate HIPAA. Yeah. You know, like I'm pretty sure HIPAA is the privacy act, right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you can't violate that <laughs> no matter what. Um, those privacy laws over overarch. I mean they they supersede whatever the hell the detective is trying to get you to do so she's called her wrong um, lawyer so many times i bet and she's been just telling us about that um and i think that is some you know some scary stuff because if you know somebody comes in and looking for files on calling you know as a client i'm not supposed to give them to you but now you're like threatening me saying that i'm gonna go to jail stuff so like that so you get your
0: attorney yeah and then they threaten them
1: yeah you, and yeah so it's a cycle but like being in that that situation maybe it's your first time too you know you could lose your job for um violation of privacy right there like in oh you can't say oh i didn't know um you should know because training is there you know you have so you have so much training um you know getting to that stage in your life as a psychologist or any any public service thing that um upholds confidentiality over anything mm-hmm. Um, so I will have you as my retainer. Yeah. I'm my retainer, honestly.
0: Did you find it? Yeah, it's eighteen ninety six. Oh, it was close. 30. 30. Oh, then nineteen thirty nine. thirty. Okay. Yeah, it was a long one. Eighteen ninety six. I was close. I was six years off. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um when I'm when I was you know, back to cases. So you know, Removing segregation or gay marriage or the right to an abortion or modern day, let's think about it, the right to uh, the continuation of the death penalty or um, the right to the Second Amendment. You know, these are all cases that have been. Profoundly determined by the um, Supreme Court, and it, you know the craziest thing about it is, so they do that under judicial review. They they interpret the laws. They're the lawyers. The Supreme mm-hmm. Court. They didn't even have that. Like they didn't have that power. They gave that power to themselves. So. In the case, literally, yeah. that's why Andrew Jackson like just said, "Fuck you guys! You guys don't have this power to do this." Because their their job was to be in, to interpret the law, and then Marbury v. Madison came around, which was um, just probably for law students. Marbury v. Madison is probably. The second most influential case, but basically it established judicial review, which basically said that the supreme Court has the has the ability to rule something unconstitutional or constitutional. We have the power to make the law basically to interpret the law and say what it is and whether it fits with the constitution or not
1: but yeah that's the that's the power they have got from the um division of the three branches right? no but
0: no but they gave themselves that power so they had the power of the like, interpretation but they didn't really have so there's always something that says like in the division of the three branches some basic politics and government if you guys don't know there's three branches of government there's a bicameral system which is the legislator which is the people who write the law and it is divided into bicameral too but it's divided into the congress or in congress into the house and the senate and the houses has Fact check this too. Five hundred and fuck, I don't want to be wrong about this. Twenty 5, something, right? I think it's five hundred twenty-three. Five hundred twenty-three members. I'm gonna say five twenty-seven. Five twenty-six. I'm gonna say five twenty-six. finally sorry. And um, and Congress has obviously a hundred because there's two from each state. Uh, or Senate has uh, hundred members. And then there's the judicial branch, which is nine Supreme Court members. And there's one president. What is it? Four thirty-five. Four thirty-five. Okay. Oh wow. No, oh, so that means there's. 535 because you add the 100 senators so all together right. yeah um okay wow look at me politics and government major don't even know how many people are in the house um so uh so divided into government and they always say so congress has the purse because they have the ability to spend and the president has the, the sword because he hasn't he enforces like the it. military yeah. yeah well he just enforces it yeah he has the military behind him but he also like he's the executive so he, he enforces the law yeah every, yeah um and, but like the Supreme Court is just kind of like the shitty younger brother. And so in Marbury versus Madison, they gave themselves the law of judicial review, which is we can read over the law and decide whether it's constitutional or not crazy. And that's why we have all these cases being codified into laws because of common law is because they gave themselves the power of judicial review under common law. Yeah. Because if we didn't literally, who knows what the society would look like if we didn't have the Supreme Court,
1: everybody would do what they want. What do you mean? If we didn't have the Supreme Court, everybody would do what they want.
0: Well, we would, we would still have segregation. Wouldn't have been abolished by the Supreme Court probably until later. Um, uh, abortion wouldn't have been legalized. Uh, contraception wouldn't have been legalized um, in the nineteen nineties because Roe. So v.
1: The only thing that the legalization does is, you know, um, reduce the deaths. Honestly, you know, you're you're saying the segregation, it would have just came to a point where, you know, black people were fighting the white people, you know, a lot yeah. of deaths would occur. Abortions, you know, you now you're gonna have those underground abortions. Um
0: Well it hasn't that, been it hasn't been decided yet. So I understand we have, that we have but that.
1: like there's there's stuff occurring currently yeah. that is gonna bring that um option up. You know, Definitely. you're gonna you're gonna start going to the dark web to find an abortion clinic in Fucking Mexico, or something like that, and you're gonna have to go to Mexico to go get an abortion. Well,
0: you know, the blue states will still have because it's, it's it's bringing it back to where the states can rule. So, the, no, yeah, everybody on the west coast will still be but able then, to get But then,
1: you know, states like Texas, Alabama, For they're, sure. they're yeah. trying to push the fact that if you're if you are, if you get pregnant in that state and you go and have an abortion in another state, you can be, you could still be charged for an abortion um, back in the state that that's you live. So crazy, I mean. so there's so many, there's just so many different things you got to leap through just to even, you know, decide what you want to do with your own body. Yeah, and that's
0: crazy. I man. just
1: think that's insane. So yeah, I I think that the legalization of all this stuff just saves, um. Deaths. Deaths. Yeah, like you're you're just reducing you the think, mortality um, count.
0: Legalizing sodomy saves deaths.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, mean if you think about it, because you're legalizing it, then people are uh, more um, susceptible to go get help if they have a problem. HIV. Yeah, you know, like you're not you're not gonna yeah, go I'm get help that. if you if you know you're doing something illegal, like sex workers. You know, like sex workers in Amsterdam. They they do so good in their life because they have so many opportunities to actually go get help and stuff. You know, we learned about this in our social work class. You know, um
0: what Shout is it? Don, man. Shout yeah. out Don. Yeah, he
1: I mean he he said I mean he made us read that article about um sex workers in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. You know, they have they have access to health care, access to um controlled environments, um, access to bodyguards, um, actual companies, stuff like that. But now you're you're out here in America, um, a lot of places don't accept it, obviously. I'm pretty sure most majority of the places do not accept um the sex worker industry, you know, in America.
0: Doubt it, yeah. Yeah. Las Vegas, Alaska, I think are the only two. Yeah,
1: and then you have the occasional illegal brothels, whatever. Um but now being like being a sex worker in america you're not going to go get the help you need you know you you can get raped and then boom i don't want to go get help because i am a sex worker and then i'm gonna be scrutinized in the public opinion i mean in the public's eyes like i'm not i'm not going through that but a sex worker gets abused or hiv or something in amsterdam they're seeking help right immediately because they have the programs they have the opportunities to actually go get that help so yeah the legalization of sodomy yeah, I mean saves deaths. It's kind of weird, honestly. That I think.
0: and then gay marriage, twenty sixteen. How does that save deaths? Same thing, kind of, kind of linked.
1: Yeah, i i would I would say that's linked too. You know, a lot of doctors wouldn't even serve people if they were gay um, before that. You know, you go in there saying you have HIV as a male, or you know, progress to AIDS. They're gonna look at you like there's there's only what three causes for that? The needle um you know exchange of blood and then sex being gay yeah sex
0: what about magic johnson though
1: that's a whole different um thing he might be the face of aids honestly and i i don't know that's like a whole
0: well easy e too whole he, thing um yeah I, it's yeah it's i just think that it's you know the system is so perfect for what it was designed to be which is anti-authority you know it's it's designed so that no one can have power and no one can make anything happen
1: i mean you could say anti-authority but anti-authority from one person which is the president and that's what i feel like they got to
0: yeah but like literally nothing can happen in congress it's literally impossible to pass anything in into law
1: i understand that when's the last
0: time there there has been a national law that you like an amendment
1: yeah but then you say anti-authority on a grand scale But then you have such a a smaller scale where you're still um, a product of the authority that's occurring in that um, area. You know, your governor, your mayor, your local sheriff's department, stuff like that. They're still the ones that are the authoritative um, figure.
0: Yeah, but it's a chain, right? Like, they can't do anything that the federal government says they can't do.
1: I mean, you'd be surprised, honestly.
0: I mean, yes, but they can't, like— smaller
1: towns, bro, like—
0: I mean, okay, you they, yes.
1: You think they are going to their governor every time they're doing something? COVID.
0: So. COVID show how, how important governors actually are. The, the purpose of federalism, I agree with federalism, and I agree with the Electoral College, and that is not a very um, <clears throat> popular like anecdotal note. You know, Most people don't agree with it. Do you guys know what the Electoral College is? Yeah. Do you know how it works? Yeah. Okay, so Wyoming has, what, three electoral votes because you get two from every senator and then you get a proportion from your population population yeah. uh i think there's all right you're gonna have to fact check this i think there's a you can get up to 560 in the electoral college if you get a perfect score look at what the what the how many votes are under the electoral college college um, because 270 is like usually when you win i'm pretty sure doesn't matter. But the Electoral College, what it does is let's say there's a popular vote, right? Let's say there's a just a popular vote. Let's say there's just majority wins. What are you doing if you're running for office, Dion? Where are you going? Where are you campaigning? Who are you trying to get to vote for you?
1: The biggest state.
0: New York and California, Texas, stuff like really that. Really probably New York City, LA, maybe Dallas. Probably not. Like you're going to the biggest cities, yeah. We're Um, in
1: Florida. I feel like they have a lot,
0: Miami, yeah. yeah. But, like, but here's the thing you're not going to campaign there because they're going to vote, they're going to most of them are going to vote Democratic, anyways. Um, so you'd spend all of your resources voting for, um, you'd spend all your resources, um, campaigning in where most people live, which is like you, is it 570? Is it 560? So, yeah, it's 270 to win, so 540 all together. 540, fuck, dude. Um, I'm so close, but not damn but basically the electoral college makes it so the people who are still in the united states who are living in some shitty ass places still have a vote you know who aren't living in california or new york city they make it so like they matter and that's why i agree with it they should have some say yeah it's just it it does give middle america where most people don't live who are gonna probably vote republican it gives them a a strong valid like
1: yeah and that's that's how it usually is you know in nevada it's a blue state but if you zoom out i mean zoom in everything's red except las vegas and reno but that's where a majority of the population mm-hmm. is that's where you have majority of the minorities at as well um you know they're pushed in and crammed into these um bigger cities so yeah giving them their their voice is good so i agree but you know that cramming and that distribute oh, distribution of the minorities dates back to when you know, slavery is gone, you know. They only have, what, like 17 cities they can actually go to and actually make a decent life out of, and it was all major cities. You have New York, you have... Um, Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, Illinois. Illinois uh, Chicago, not Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. Illinois is the state, but Chicago. Um, I think that was one of the biggest ones. You had Detroit, and I'm naming these, and these are all cities that are on the top of the crimes list now um, because... You know when there's when there's limited resources, you get into stuff that you shouldn't be getting into, mm-hmm. because you guys are all fighting for these resources, and then you get to the stage of redlining. Now, um, boom, uh, you can't you can't do you can't go get a house or anything because of the limited resources in that area now, and then you know white people don't want you in their um, area because of the um, catastrophic you know, events that are occurring in the area that you're already in, which is, um, you know, gang violence, murder, robbery, stuff like that. So I just feel like it's a never-ending, systematic cycle, honestly, for minority groups. I'm not just saying um, only black people. I'm talking for most uh, minority groups. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting. I don't know what I was going to end with.
0: (laughs) Well... We're at two fifteen, and you want a Doordash. We can keep going, but you cannot. We can also wrap it up because we are. We can go in for over an hour.
1: Well, why'd you have to out me out saying I'm in a Doordash?
0: Well, who? Can, I can take this out. I'm just asking you.
1: I know you guys think we should keep going. The only is I have. To be, so go pee. I mean, so I have fun. That, yeah.